Q4 earnings season. Off to a rocky start. Geopolitical tensions arising. Not great inflation data. Let's take a look at these earnings reports, including Delta Airlines and all the banks. UNH not helping things as well. Jonathan Corpino will join us. Meridian Equity Partners, managing partner, will join us for his broad view on the markets. It's just me and Aaron again, folks. It's Friday. It's the start of a three-day weekend on pre-market prep. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. All right, good morning, traders and investors. We are off the lows and off the highs of the sessions, but we're starting out in the red by 11 handles at 4,804.50. Buck back over 102, up 21 cents at 102.24. Bonds down about a quarter point, 122 and 13.30 seconds. Crude getting a pop off the geopolitical. Look at that, getting above that trend line, up 229 is 74.30. Gold in the green by 3190 at 205130. Silver back in the over 23 up 49 cents at 2319. And Bitcoin, we're down $385 at 45,965. I'm gonna bring in Aaron off the hop. It's just me and Aaron again today. Triple D still on the rebound. Sounded a little bit better last night, but I don't know. Can you catch a uh, a cold or a virus over the phone because folks i'm gonna be a little bit scratchy and coffee today so bear with me a b how you doing today you're the healthy one the young healthy one of the crew hey i'm i'm feeling well yeah so knock on wood because otherwise you know if it's all three of us then it might be kind of a, a curse for the show but uh you know uh joel you mentioned this morning oil moving higher this of course like you said, some geopolitical concerns going on in the Red Sea right now. If you haven't been following the story, uh, some Houthi rebels are kind of like some modern day pirates are out on the sea and they've been attacking corporate uh, tankers and commercial ships. And so what these shipping companies have had to do is is basically reroute all the way around Africa and, and make their trips way longer um, because these rebels have actually been causing quite a stir enough so. Uh, that U.S. forces and, and British forces teamed up and actually attacked uh, back some of them overnight. So either way, oil's getting a huge pop off this. Joel, what this reminds me of kind of is when we were coming out of COVID and finally some of these supply chain concerns were starting to ease, inflation looked like it might start getting better, and then boom, we had the Russian and Ukraine war again then starting to hike up prices. It looked like we were going to you know, finally beat inflation, come out of these woods. CPI was looking great. And now you have oil prices going back up uh, again on these geopolitical concerns. Can we just have, you know, maybe like six months, a year, maybe where we, we don't have some sort of war? Am I, am I just young and naive? Is this always is yeah, there always yeah. is there, is there always going to be something? Well, there seems to always be something here since uh, 
uh, since 2020. But uh, it all has to do with uh, the war in the Middle East, right? Tensions escalating and uh, really not getting any better. But let's just look at a crude technically. Uh, and I put that trend line in a while ago, and it was a pretty steep trend line. Now we're busting above that. Uh, let's see if, uh, once again, you bust through an area of resistance. It's important to hold that. I would say the next target on the upside uh, would be a high that you had on December 27th at 76.66. That's really the next daily high that comes into sight. But you know what, though? If you're owning oil stocks, you're saying, what the heck is going on? ExxonMobil hanging out near the low of the move. CVX up a little bit today, but that's not a pretty looking chart. I don't know if Warren is revving up the engines to buy some more uh, Oxy, but when he did it last time, it was faded. So, uh, And you mentioned something about gas prices. So the higher oil prices or more of the trading range that it's been in has not parlayed into a rally in the oil stocks. Yeah, and uh, the gas prices are low. The ga- the lower gas prices comes while the U.S. is is stockpiling its its gasoline reserves. Um, so right now, you know, it takes a while for whatever's going on in oil to reverberate to the gas prices. It'll be about two or three weeks. So if we see oil continue to move higher on this Middle East news, uh, then you should expect gas prices to continue uh, to to eventually start moving higher. Uh, right now, the current national average is three dollars and seventy four cents. I was filling up here in Michigan for less than three bucks uh, a week ago, Joel, which was the first time I had filled up gas under three dollars. I feel like in in a couple of years, so it was to me. Uh, I was happy about it, but then now I'm looking at this news and thinking, oh boy, here here it comes. Gas prices are about to come up, um, but you're not seeing that, like you said in uh, the the gasoline stocks right now. The one thing I'll say on Oxy and Warren is Warren has mentioned before that he specifically doesn't want to cross that threshold where he becomes a, what is it? Like if he owns 5%. Yeah. Yeah. So he he said he didn't want to do that to where he, you know, owned a certain percentage of the share prices. So I'll have to figure out exactly what that number is to see if he even can buy more or if he did buy more, would he end up owning too much of the company? Yeah, came down and fill a gap from one of his buys here. This has been his area. So sure, you can go ahead and sell it or short it into here, but uh it just really, it, it's just, it's really gotten pops off this news, but it, this time it's faded and didn't have the follow through. So we'll see what Warren up to, but this is definitely his buy zone. Yep. So if you, you know, like we said, if you're driving a car right now, gasoline car, prices have been a little cheaper for you. Um, but if you're driving an electric car, some prices might get a little cheaper there as well. Yesterday we had news that Hertz is offloading more than 20,000 of its electric vehicles, uh, which a majority of which are Tesla's. Uh, and then overnight after that, we got hit with another, uh, bearish headline that, uh, Tesla is, is chopping its prices in China again. This is uh, Tesla's multiple. It's 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 like fifth price cut in China uh, in the last year, and it's a triple whammy. Then you had Ross Gerber, an old Tesla bull, coming out and calling uh, out Elon Musk for Grok, the the AI thing, and all this stuff. So it's really a triple whammy between the Hertz news, the China news, Ross Gerber coming out against Tesla. Tesla getting hit this morning, trading down three percent, uh, now at its two month lows. 
Not everyone was bearish, though, Joel. Kathy Wood came in last night and started buying the dip on Tesla. Um, So, you know, I would not be touching this stock here if it were me. I don't like, you know, the fact that you can you can just see this making new lows. I'd rather not be 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 buying a stock that's on its way on a downtrend. I want to see at least a little bit of consolidation, some uh, some bullish activity, which you're just not seeing in Tesla right now. And look. Anytime you're selling everything. And Joel, I know what people say. Hey, look, it's not a car company. It's this and that. But when 99% of its revenue comes from selling cars and then they start cutting prices on those cars, that's not bullish news. Triple whammy. Yeah, a triple whammy here. Any way you look at it, Tesla bulls need to step up to the plate. I think a lot of it is the follow through, as you mentioned, from the the Hertz. I mean, you know, more more, uh, supply and perhaps a dwindling demand market. I will say we are working on an important candle here in Tesla. The reason I say that is you had a big bump up in November. I don't know. That was probably uh, when Jerome Powell said that uh, interest rates were going to zero uh, by February. And that's when you got the big pump up here. Uh, This is what you Tesla shareholders. This is the candle that you need to focus on today. You are working into that candle. Let me get the pre-market action in here to give you more a little bit. Just hanging out here at the 220 area. If you were waiting for a gap fill, that gap fill would be at, uh, oh boy, more it has more than filled the gap here. Uh, 225.40, uh, that's what you filled the gap there. And the reason I mentioned this candle is that it was a big day. Uh, you had a close at 23.71 and that daily low was uh, 1161. So for a volatile stock like uh, Tesla, you got to give it a little bit of an area. I think this is an important day for it to see if we can find some support, not necessarily go green, but at least get back, touch near the end, uh, uh, near the lower end of yesterday's range. Yep. We'll see if there are other bulls coming in today on Tesla or if it's just Miss Kathy Wood. Uh, well, other big headlines this morning, Joel, of course. Uh, earnings season, we're starting to come back into. We had a lot of the big financial names report earnings this morning, and there's really been only one uh, you know, beacon of hope there, and that's J.P. Morgan uh, reported uh, a strong EPS beat, stock trading higher this morning. Um, but others, you know, so give me the technicals on this real quick and then we'll get into the other names as well. Uh, JP Morgan, full disclosure. I can't even believe that I haven't bought, uh, I didn't buy very many stocks in, uh, uh, 2023, but this was one that I did buy. And, uh, that was during the meltdown back in April. I think I got one thirty and change on this one. And now making a new all-time high. Uh, well, is it an all-time high? Let me go. Let me go to the monthlies. Yeah, one seventy-two ninety-six was your former all-time high. Uh, you're making a new high in the pre-market at one seventy-four seventy-five. As a long-term investor, I'm not touching it here uh, as far as selling it, though it's very tempting. Um, as a shorter term trader, I don't know what the expected move is here. I look at the spoos down 15 handles. If I was on this thing, if I took a flyer on some 170 calls or one set, I don't even know what the strikes are in this one. You really want to see it get through that pre-market high of 174.75. You're a buck off that. 
The longer it takes to take that out, I think you could see a retreat in this one. Uh, the top of yesterday's range is down at 170.36, but JP Morgan is going to be trading wild on earnings day, and you just keep an eye on it. Uh, Pre market high, 174.75. Yep, and then so the numbers there for J.P. Morgan adjusted EPS of three dollars and ninety-seven cents a share versus three dollars and thirty-six estimate. Slight uh, sales missed thirty-eight billion versus around the thirty-nine point uh, seven eight billion estimate. I said it was the only beacon or the only shining light in the in the bank space, um, but cities came in late no. and stronger and stronger than expected. Double beat uh, on city eighty billion. Uh, revenue versus, uh, you know, 79.3 estimate EPS beat as well. So stock trading higher. This comes after uh, City gave a warning yesterday that it was hit with this, you know, multi-billion dollar regulatory fine. I don't know why more companies don't do that, Joel. Why don't they come out earlier before the earnings come out, get the bad news out of the way. And then when they actually report the numbers, they look good and then say, hey, look, see, things aren't all bad. I don't mind that. Yeah, I don't know, because it's confusing as hell, maybe. Uh, <laughs> they hit it yesterday. Uh, they bought the dip, uh, on it. I saw hats off to Mike Mayo. I, mean, I heard him talking about it as well. And he didn't think things are going to be bad. Like the, this is their 12th restructuring and he thinks they're going to get this one, right? Uh, so I'm just looking at this recent move that you had. Let's see if uh, how much you can get back of this move. 54.76 to your low, down at 51.26. This is getting back a little bit over the half half of that uh, decline. So long term here, I think the bullish scenario would be you know hold 52 and three quarters or 53 today and build a little bit of a base. Then maybe go up and challenge the high of the move. But if you bought the dip on this one, if you were a contrarian yesterday on this, and you're getting this kind of news, huh? I don't know. It would be very tempting to ring the register. And if you think Citigroup has been a great stock, um, we'll just do this. I owe to Dennis here. If you think it's been a great stock, it's gone from thirty-eight seventeen to over fifty-four bucks then maybe you're an, a youngster like uh, like Aaron and you don't know about the dilution in this thing and the reverse stock splits and the all-time high of 562.80. But uh, uh, that's a level never be seen again. But uh, right now, uh, trading up in the pre-market, see if it can hold on to those gains. Yeah, that's just kind of the mood you're in this morning, Joel, huh? If you're green, you 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 kind of want to ring that register and sell some. You want to sell some into the into the. You got big weekend plans, long weekend plans. That no, you need to raise the money for. I'm just telling you, J.P. Morgan. Uh, back in the bright days uh, with Dennis and stuff, that used to be a pretty active stock that we would trade, and it was just whatever it was doing pre-market and earnings. We all we either you either did the opposite or you didn't touch it. And so that's that's the that's the only reason I saying that. And then also I'm just looking at the market and yeah. uh yeah, and you know, we're down when we're down. I mean, we're off the pre-market low uh by you know, a good 10 handles, a little bit of weakness yesterday off the inflation numbers. So uh you know, as as the market turned, if the spoos were trading up 10, 12, 13, 14 handles, it might have the opposite. But uh, seems to be a little drag on the market yesterday from the higher than expected CPI data. 
Yeah, and uh, we, we, we went with the good news first from the banking space. Now let's get to some of the not-so-great news from Bank of America reported lower-than-expected earnings, and they also announced a uh, big fee that the bank has to pay, $2.1 billion fee charged by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corps. Uh, this goes back to the Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank collapse back in like last March or February when that happened. Um, but I mean, look, Bank of America getting hit on this, not going to help if you if you own XLF, if you own any of these, you know, banking ETFs. I actually bank with Bank of America, Joel, and I have for like since I was 18. So for almost like 10 years now. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I always whenever I see the stock move, I'm always like, should I be worried if my because at one point Bank of America was down like 20 percent in a month. I was like, should I start to get worried about this? <laughs> Uh, well, I, if you have to start worrying about your money in Bank of America, then there's, then we're all screwed. Be, then yeah, we're all the screwed. other things, yeah, the other things to talk about. Um, if you look at the closing price in this one, I don't know what the expected move was here, but you closed at 33.15. I don't care what the earnings are or what is said or done in this thing. You don't hit Bank of America down two bucks the thing probably has an average daily range of less than a dollar so it was just a quick bonus here for anybody that had shorted into the recent uh recent rally or was attempting to do a long uh this one shapes up technically uh what i like about it is that you have a gap to fill at the 32 dollar area you did more than that during the pre-market trading so just as I mentioned that bar in uh, in Tesla, I think you got a similar bar here in Bank of America. And that bar is a big one. And I believe that was on when Jerome Paul said that we were going to actually negative interest rates. And uh, that day, uh, we had a low of 30.63 and a close at 32.04. And then we continued higher after that. So uh, in the regular session, with the big thick stock that this is, so it's already traded uh, 1.4 million. Let's see what happens at 32. Uh, if not, you can set your targets here on the pre-market low at 31.35. Uh, but man, you're going to need a real blank whooping in the market, I think, to get it back there. Yeah, well, let, let, let's move on from the bank stocks. I mean, what banks are kind of boring. I don't even know. They are. They, 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 they just do what they do. Uh, Delta Airlines also reported earnings this morning, stock trading down more than 5%. The earnings, if you look just at the numbers, look pretty good. EPS beat uh, sales beat. They they both uh, EPS came in at 128 versus the 117 estimate. Sales came in at 14 billion versus 13 and a half estimate. Uh, but the company trimmed its 2024 forecast. So this is the classic case of the market just saying, hey, we don't care about what you did last quarter. We're worried about what you're going to be doing next quarter and the quarter after that and the quarter after that. And the market clearly isn't that bullish on it. Uh, Delta trading down more than 5%. Joel, give me the technicals. I love Delta. I wish I would have flew Delta over the weekend or uh, down to Houston. Uh, look at the run that you had in the port from 31 to 42 just had to absolutely blow it away uh they did okay on the numbers but no one likes to hear lower guidance down 239 that's a big move for it uh pre-market low 39.55 so you're not too much off that i don't have i only got one level at uh 39.06 wow that's another almost another buck lower 
The better support comes in at the pair of daily lows at 38 and a half. Uh, if you're looking for a rebound, a gap fill, you're going to have to wait all the way for 41.48. The only thing I'd be a little nervous about this one is that it peaked in July earnings and they said everything was absolutely fantastic. And then here, this was uh, another earnings report. Oh, I don't know. This, I think this was just the market sell-off. You had the big turn. But the fact the way it turned off the last earnings report, which was absolutely spectacular, the guy came on and told you everything was great, and look what the stock did. And now they're coming on and telling you, well, you know, things aren't so good. So I'd be cautious on this one after a nice run in Delta, the first of the airlines to report. UAL, I don't want to talk about my UAL flight. That's falling in sympathy. That was at the highs in the move yesterday. Let's look at love. I'm sure that's training in the red too. That ran into a wall at 30 bucks. Let's do one broad stroke of it and look at the Jets ETF, both hanging out near the highs. Looks like you got good support in the Jets ETF in the lower $18 handle. Yeah, and Joel, I got to say, I love Delta as well. I had never really flown Delta a lot before I moved up here to Detroit. Of course, Detroit's airport's a huge Delta hub. So now I've got my Delta credit card and all this. And one time, one time I flew with my golf club somewhere. I think I was going to South Carolina for a golf trip. And say my flight was supposed to land at 4 p.m. I was already in the airport, had already grabbed my clubs from the baggage claim by 3:55 p.m. Like I was like early not early. only not only the flight but but also getting my luggage. Like most people are waiting half an hour for their luggage after the flight and I was already going out of the airport my friends are like how did you get here so quickly? I'm like Delta baby. That's a and 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 no Delta's not sponsoring this episode or anything. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm just I am just a fan. Um, well, Joel, yesterday we've we got slightly hotter than expected inflation data. Uh, Blue told us not really something to be too concerned about, at least not yet. This morning, we're going to be getting more data coming out in about six minutes at 8.30. We will get PPI. Uh, core PPI is expected to rise, uh, much like the CPI. It's expected to be 0.2%. Last month, it was 0.1%. Uh, the regular PPI is expected to be 0.1%. Last month, it was 0%. So, uh, I, I mean, are you expecting this one to come in hotter too? What should we be looking for? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a secondary number here, and it usually follows the uh, uh, the CPI. So um, a little bit of jitters here. I mean, you know, the the lot of different uh, factors go into it. So I don't think a lot of times there's just been crickets off that number. Uh, but really important to you know, not so much what you know the number is is that. If you come at like, let's say you come in line or a little bit better, then it's really important for this market to rally off the price action yesterday. If it comes in, you know, hot, then boom, you know, maybe, you know, we get hit. But if it if it's a good number and or in line number and we don't rally, then I might be ready to cause short term top in this market. But let's I, see. Let's see how the market reaction is. 
I I agree with that because if the numbers come in in line, that what it it should that should you know squash out some of the fears yesterday that oh my god inflation's you know super hot again or if it comes in lower but if we don't see that buying activity then that shows you uh that a lot of that bullish you know price action has been exhausted but a lot you know like you asked blue yesterday joel how much of this is already priced in that people know that inflation has started to come down and now the fed is obviously starting to talk about rate cuts um one other, I mean, another big headline from yesterday. Joel, do you know what the biggest company in the world is? Uh, well, actually, according to my data, what I like to look at, it's been Microsoft for a while because I look at the largest components in the S&P. Now, I, I've heard people say different things, and I don't know how they measure it, but uh, Apple right now, Apple is back on top. Uh, but Microsoft, when Apple had that decline, it's really been nip and tuck between those two companies. Right now, Apple's portfolio weight in the S&P 500, that's the what I go by, is 7.03. That is, uh, as of yesterday's price action, and Microsoft percent portfolio weight of the S&P was 6.98. So if you just think about that for a second, we haven't discussed this in a while, Right there is 14% of the S&P. And then if you tack on Amazon, that's another 4%. That's 18%. NVIDIA is another 3 21%. You know where I'm going with it. You know, everyone talks about, you know, the whatever acronyms. I mean, I've always gone with the top 10 stocks in the S&P. I don't know if I can come up. That would be a really tough acronym <laughs> to come up with. Uh, but it's like 30% of the index. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, you were gonna go to you were gonna talk about Microsoft, correct? I was. I was gonna talk about Microsoft. That was the headline yesterday that Microsoft passed Apple just in terms of absolute market cap yep. uh, to become the biggest company in the world. Which, I mean, Joel, I, like, if you would have told me in I don't know, say 2013, 2014, that Microsoft would surpass Apple, and I would have told because Microsoft for a while was like dead. It wasn't interesting. It wasn't you know that innovative. So you know. Their, their management, what Satya Nadella has been able to do over there, has been nothing short of incredible over the last 15 years. Microsoft, of course, one of its biggest growth uh, drivers, Azure, the uh, Azure, the uh, their cloud computing vertical. They made a big investment in that early on to become one of the leaders in that space and has just been an absolute monster for it. Uh, and then, of course, you know, now with its Microsoft Office products and AI helping out open AI. I mean, this thing is, again, I just can't speak highly, more highly uh, of their leadership team over the last 15 years to get them that space. Because at the time, Apple looked like it was just far and away the more innovative company, uh, the stronger buy. And now you're seeing Microsoft come back. Microsoft did get a new price target from Piper Sandler this morning as well. I know we've talked a lot about different analyst ratings, which, uh, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't ever really, cause like, here's the thing with these analysts is they, they wait for the stock to go up and then they say, Oh, we're so bullish on it. Here's our new, new price target. Or they wait till the stock starts going down and they say, Oh, we're bearish on it. Here's a new price target. Um, actually, Speak, uh, I'll, I'll correct myself. No new price target from Piper Sandler. They reiterate its overweight rating on Microsoft and maintains a $455 oh, price man. target uh, currently at 383 So uh, that's a big 
big price, you know, it would be a big price move if we reached that $455 target and would probably put Microsoft even further in its standing as the largest company in the world. Yeah, I just wanted to pull up the forward PEs on these things. And uh, man, if you're a strict fundamental investor, I mean, you're buying uh, you're buying this at a, almost a 35 PE, Apple at 28 PE, Amazon at 40. I mean, uh, Tesla at 65. These are not historically low standards by any stretch of the imagination. So Wait, I'd be a fader of the upgrade in, NVIDIA's there. forward PE is only at 27. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty. They I mean, that's blowing away. They keep blowing away. <laughs> All right, get ready though, Aaron. We got the PPI here. Let me go to the one-minute chart, and then we're going to bring in Jonathan Corpita, managing part uh, partner at Meridian Equity Partners. We'll go to the one-minute chart here. Spice things up. See what we got. Looks like it's coming in a little bit light based on the initial price action here. Got a little bit of a. 10 point pop wow so core came in at 0.0 that was against the 0.2 percent so that came in two tenths of a percent cooler than expected uh against zero percent the prior month so core ppi did not rise at all in december again the same for and then ppi the overall number came in at at negative 0.1% versus 0.1%. So that also was two tenths of a percent cooler than the expectation. PPI year over year for December was 1% versus 1.3% estimated. So again, like you said, you called it just by looking at the one minute chart came in cooler than expected. We said, if this number does come in cooler than expected and you don't see buyers start getting worried, but we are seeing the buyers, correct Joel? Yeah, um, you are. You're seeing the buyers come out in uh, droves here. Uh, the S&Ps are raising uh, most of those losses, not quite yet at the pre-market high. Really, to me, really important uh, day here ahead of the three-day weekend. Uh, you know, trading down yesterday, we covered off the lows here. Trading in the red, now you're catching the bid. Looks like you're not going to blink here at the closing price. Well, you did blink there. If you had orders out at that closing price from yesterday at 15 and a half. So right now, that's what I'm looking at. Is this a good enough number to get us green on the session and take out the pre-market high? That remains to be seen. If not, I still think you still have some uh, nervous Nellies out there. So PPI going a little bit different direction than the CPI. Yeah, and we talked again about this yesterday with Blue and a little bit after. I mean, the with the inflation, it's like how much of it can – because if, if if inflation started dropping too fast, that would be a sign of a slowing economy, and you don't want that either. So you really do want to kind of find these Goldilocks numbers where it's it's not too hot, not too cool. And I think this is that. I think you'd like to see this, this PPI come in slightly lower than expected, especially after the CPI came in yesterday slightly higher than expected. I'm not starting again. We got to watch like what we talked about at the beginning of the show, Joel, with this oil news. And if these geopolitical concerns are going to then start pushing some of these costs higher um, and we'll definitely be you know, watching that closely. But other than that, I'm not too concerned right now with inflation, you know, going back to where we were at a year and a half ago when it was at no, like nine percent no. or something, 10 percent. I mean, that was. And and Blue kind of, you know, joked about it yesterday. It kind of was transitory. It might have taken three years and not, you know, a couple months like the like the Fed said. Um, but what we saw in terms of inflation a year and a half, two years ago, that's not where we're at now. And what we're talking about now uh, is, I think, something the market can tolerate, even if the oh, Fed transitory. 
It was transitory. It was. Inflation, it was. It was. I don't know why everyone got so upset. It was transitory. You had a, uh, you know, a world event that affected all the supply chains, affected absolutely everything. And you're working your way through it here. So uh, once again, the CPI is the more important number. Uh, we did the PPI a little bit more encouraging here. Uh, the market really has been like up a day, you know, down a day, up two days, down a day. You haven't established like one, like you haven't seen the bulls like just step up here at 4,800 and say, we're, we're just going to 5,000. I mean, this is Q4 earnings season is going to be great. And everything's just peachy keen. You're You're not seeing that. But you are seeing a nice bid here in the market as we try and go green. Yeah, and you'll see a lot of people out there. And then if I can just go, I, I you see a lot of people out there, like you know, always try to make things, you know, like the zero hedges of the world on Twitter, try to make things seem like worse than they are. I think, <laughs> um, and so you know, you might. Yesterday, I saw a lot of people being like, "Oh my God, inflation's back!" You know, you got to sell, you got to buy gold, and all this stuff. And it's, I, I just, I actually like, like you said, Joel, it, it did end up being transitory. I, Powell and the Fed, they may have gotten us into this position by keeping interest rates too low for too long. Sure, I'll give you that. But since then, and since where we were at with the with the COVID-19 supply chains, then the Russia-Ukraine war, where we're at now, what they've been able to do in bringing inflation down while not creating a recession, while you haven't seen unemployment skyrocket higher, it's been unbelievable. Economists thought it was literally impossible to do that. Any, any economist you would have talked to would have said, no, to bring inflation down from 9% you're going to need to see a mild recession. And instead, unemployment kept going lower while inflation went lower. It's been incredible. And so I, I don't think people really understand how, you know, how just incredible of a job Powell and, and them have done since then, since in the last like two years. Okay. Uh, it's uh, it's 835 now. What do you got for us, Aaron? We're going to be bringing on Jonathan Capina. Excited to talk to Jonathan, Jonathan about everything going on. Uh, senior managing partner at Meridian Equity uh, Partners. Without further ado, uh, or sorry, Carpina. Uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and welcome him on the show. Good morning, Jonathan. We're not seeing you on the trading floor. Working home from this uh, on this Friday. Working yes, sir. Four day weekend here. How you doing? <laughs> and uh, let's just start right out. CPI yeah. a little hot. PPI not. Yeah. So good morning. Thanks for having me back on ahead of this ahead of this holiday weekend coming up. Aaron, listening to the show coming in, you said it the right way. You know, it's 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 a Goldilocks number, right? Not too hot, not too cold. We continue to get a lot of this mixed economic data, and it's not too far outside of the estimates. It's not too far outside of the swings. And I think that's what we need, right? We we need to kind of stay within our lane so we can we can start to bring things back to some sort of normality. The, the markets, the economy, interest rates, the Fed, everything has swung too far too fast. And we need to see to start to see some stability come back into this market. So the data that we continually watch and the economic data that we've gotten this week and we'll continue to get more next week, I think it's kind of 
bouncing us within these bands, but little by little veering us in a direction where things are getting better. We're not going to get too far outside of the lines and it's not going to have too much disruption to our markets. Yes, there are so many other factors that are out there, geopolitical risks uh, that continue to be in our markets. But where we are right now, considering what we've been through over the last four years, we'll start pre-COVID to now, it's actually incredible uh, where, where the results are at this point. And you guys even said it on this lead in, like, look at where we were a year ago to where we are now. You would have never bet that we could have been in this position that we are right now. Now that doesn't mean things aren't going to change. That doesn't mean the fed's going to pull a, a wild card out of their hat and try to, and try to do something out of the norm. But for now, it seems like we're moving in the right direction with all those, with all the ancillary factors that are there that try to push us out of our lanes. Well, Jonathan, you mentioned, you know, that things are starting to kind of maybe edge in the right direction, looking better. Uh, one place where that might not be the case, I've seen that Q4 earnings expectations are starting to dampen a little bit. Uh, is that something you're concerned about? And if that ends up being the case, could that be a sign uh, that, you know, things maybe are going then in the wrong direction? It certainly could be, but I think it's more of the mentality of two steps forward, one step back, right? So we watch these earnings reports as you guys do, and the numbers are great, but we, we really look for what is the forecast? What is the outlook moving forward? Over the last four, five, six quarters, we, we continue to hear the, um, you know, the outlook um, uncertainty based off of geopolitical risk, based off of supply chain, based off of interest rates. We're going to continue to see that. It just comes down to a question of how does the Fed react to all this information? How does the Fed react to this data? I think the expectations are that the pendulum has swung and it's going to swing back in the same motion. And we have to get our hands around. It's not going to move that way. It's not going to move in the same smooth pattern that it has before in the past. And I think we could feel um, some pressure in this market if it doesn't move back as quick as people are expecting. I think patience is going to have to be the key term getting through our next uh, couple of interest rate cycles. Um, couple that with it's a uh, presidential election cycle, all the different factors that can be can be pushed into that. So I do think we're not going to move in this straight upward pattern. I do think there is a lot of uncertainty forward. But again, it's two steps forward, one step back type of mentality. If you take a step back and look at where again, where were we and where we are now? Uh, look at you know S and P trading close to the five year highs as we continue to bounce off those those top bands that are there. It's 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 incredible that the uh, the progress that we've made so far and some of the risk factors that have been taken off the uh, off the table as far as recession is concerned. So if you use conventional wisdom in 2023 and you said, don't fight the Fed, well, you were looking pretty good until October and November and then the mysterious Fed pivot here. Where are you on the recession, the Fed funds tool, where rates are going? I've always, always been uh, in the current environment. I mean, let's just stay here right now for a while and see what happens. I don't know if we necessarily need to go that much higher. Certainly, the numbers aren't indicating it here. Uh, but what you're seeing and what, I mean, he just like kicked me aside the head with that. Uh, with that pivot, where are you on the interest rate, the amount we've here? We hear two cuts. We hear three cuts. I've heard six cuts. I mean, is the economy 
at a point where we need that much fiscal stimulus? Yeah, we're not at that point yet, Joel. And, I, and I'm in the camp where you are. Like, let's kind of stay where we're at and see how it all plays out until we can start making pivots uh, uh, w without that process. Again, with the way interest rates have moved and the effect that it's had on the economy, it can't come back in that fast. I know there are people in the camp that are saying, cut, 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 cut. The, the effects of that might be more detrimental than the, than the positive output that we're expecting from that. So I think we need to stay in our lane. I think we need to stay where we are for at least the first six months of the year to see how things play out. Again, we'll bring in all those other factors, the geopolitical risks that are there. We still talk about Russia, Ukraine. What's happening in Taiwan and, and China is, is, I think, more of a risk to us as far as getting, getting involved in what's going on. We're still, you know, two arms lengths outside of outside of the Middle East, but it's getting closer and closer by the day. In a presidential election cycle, when you know the Fed always feels a little a little iffy about making big policy decisions during this time. If you look at our election cycle that we're in right now, right now it's kind of a toss-up where this whole thing is going to go. Normally sometimes in the past it's a shoe-in that the incumbent is going to get reelected. We're not in that position right now. So the Fed is taking that into consideration of their monetary policies and the decisions that they're going to make. So I think they're forced into waiting this thing out. But being forced into waiting this thing out, they're going to get a lot of pressure a lot of you know the the, the 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 universe, the Twitter universe is going to be out there saying cut rates, cut rates, cut rates. I just don't think that's the right move. It's not the right it's not the right decision. And patience is really going to have to let this thing play out because there's so many factors that can force the Fed into making a decision at a point where they might not really want to make that. Got it. Jonathan, one thing I was watching yesterday, you know, on the CPI day, a lot of times you see these big market moves to one one side or the other, either a big down day or a big green day. Yesterday was pretty flat when it was all said and done when we finished and VIX uh, continued to fall below 13. Are we just in that type of market where there's not a lot of fear, not a lot of volatility? So there, I think there is volatility that is in this market. You know, we continue to see some pretty big swings all around. You look at the market yesterday. Yeah, it closed flat, but look at the look at the trading right. activity throughout the day. Um, I think there is there is somewhat of a disconnect that's there right now because we continually talk about these factors that are out there that can really move our markets, can move our economies, interest rates, etc. But yet the VIX is trading down towards the the lowest levels that we've seen in quite some time here. So I think there is a little bit of a disconnect. There should be a little bit more fear in this market there isn't and i think that's where uh the type of activity that we're seeing now and some of the the patients that i mentioned we're starting to see on our side you know portfolio managers who are who are just kind of pulling back out of the market i don't mean they're selling out of the market i don't mean they're selling positions they're in a wait and hold type of period they did it towards the end of the year because they might have missed that that run up or 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 participated in that run-up as far as uh, just kind of being involved in the performance that we've seen. So now there's cash on the sidelines waiting to come back in. It's not forced back into the market yet, right? Earnings season, we're going to have to get through that. I think we'll get through the first Fed announcement of no move. And I think once we start to see that, then we'll start start to see some of this 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 sideline money come back into the market. It will be very, very, very slow. All right, with the uh, triple Qs making a new all-time high, the the uh, IWM just a textbook fifty percent retracement of the move. S and P's up near the all-time highs as well. 
what's your what's your tactical take up here? And you just mentioned the institutions aren't necessarily selling, but they're not being real aggressive. So give us your technical outlook here on the S&P 500. And also, you know, what what's going to be the nudge? I mean, you need to catch a bid here. Like if they, we're, you know, we're hanging out here, nice high of the move, consolidating. What are you looking at technically uh, to confirm that, hey, 5,000 uh, will be there by the end of March? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be tough for us to get to up to those levels. You know, 4,800 in, in the mid-range there has been this kind of resistance level that we've seen. On the downside, you know, when it when it tries to bounce down, it, it does seem to catch a bid at certain points. Um, if you look at the Russell, the Russell's been lagging way behind as far as uh, performance is concerned. And I think people are, are watching that a little bit more closely than they have seen before. And then you correlate that all to the VIX where the VIX is trading at, there, there continues to be this, this disconnect that's in the market that, uh, that we continue to see. S&P is going to try hard to break through 4,900 and, and slightly above there. I don't, I don't think it's going to have the muscle to get there. But yet on the downside, anytime we see this market pull back a little bit, there seems to be a bid that comes in. I don't think we get back down in the, the 4,600 level. I think there's just way too much money that's been on the sideline that's trying to come in and waiting for that opportunity. So we're in a position now where um, as an investor, you, you know, not a trader, but as an investor, you do have this opportunity to kind of sit back and watch and let it play out uh, because there's going to be opportunities here if and when this, does, this market does swing, there'll be opportunities to get back into it. Got it, Jonathan. I mean, you mentioned that some of these, uh, you know, issues, I guess, take a while to lag. What specifically uh, there are you uh, talking about? Yeah, I, I there, there's there's a there's a few. I as I mentioned before, I think uh, China Taiwan is okay. a, is a major issue that's out there. I think we continue to see uh, posture, posturing out of China um, that's indicating uh, advancement. And I think at that point, between us and Australia, there's there, there's going to have to be a significant uh, support for for something like that, something that that we don't want, and but we're going to be forced into, and that's going to be uh, much more involved that we've seen between Russia, Ukraine, much more that we're seeing in the Middle East. I think that's a factor that's going to come to this market. Um, you know, the, the other issues, again, of the political cycle. Look, if you're if you're an incumbent president and you're looking at these polls and you're saying eh, things things aren't looking too good, the easiest way to get votes is to infuse capital into our economy, infuse, infuse capital into our markets. And then you can stand up there and say, look at your look at your first quarter 2024 statement. Look at your second quarter 2024 statement. Look how well your 401ks and your IRAs are doing, right? There's going to be that kind of posturing for, for voting. And I think whether we believe in the economy or not, that is a political play that everybody on the upside will will partake in. So I think from an infusion of capital point of view, and then the Fed trying to not get in the way of a political race, uh, this market naturally will just go higher during the next nine months due to polling in November. Uh-oh, Joel, we got you on mute. I'm trying not to cough on everybody. Uh, <laughs> let's go to some individual issues here. Obviously, you have your leaders and then also you have your laggards. Is there any laggards here that you're keeping a close eye on here over, you know, in 2024? Yeah. 
you know, I think I think, you know, apropos of timing, you look at, you know, the financial sector and, and earnings that are coming out right now, not as not as glowy as we've seen before in the past coming out of the big names. And, and obviously that that's all tied into economic factors and geopolitical factors that are out there. I think in the long run, financials have been um have been a sector that that is important to to keep in your portfolio and look at and it's one that's that hasn't been you know as as profitable as it's been before in the past but it seems like it seems like there are going to be opportunities there as you see oil prices continue to have the volatility associated with that energy pricing uh sector there is something that we you know we continue to keep our eye on and could be opportunities that are in there Technology is one, a lot of volatility in the tech sector. We're, we're enjoying, we're enjoying the posturing of where it is now, but you know, with geopolitical risks and issues that are out there, uh, supply chain issues, we, we continue to, we continue to feel that uh, the tech sector trading where it's at now might have some, some pullback in that area there associated with it. Okay. Uh, so as far as in, um, individual issues, like what about the defense or without going in individual issues, how about the overall defense sector? Yeah. I mean, that, that's always been like the safer play in, in times of where we are now. Right. And with, with our markets trading where it's at, where our economy was trading, where it's at. And with this, um, you know, some some people out there feel that there is this this pressure that's going to come onto the market. You know, shifting some into the defensive sector has always been the safer, smarter play uh, that you can have within your within your portfolio. It's it's not gonna it's not gonna give you the the greater you know returns, but it's also not going to give you the greater volatility. Got it, Jonathan. I uh, can I put you on the spot real quick here? Yeah. All right, I see a bunch of footballs in your background. We got our first uh, playoff game here in Detroit coming up on Sunday. You got a Super Bowl pick for me? A Super Bowl pick. I think. I I, I think. Or a hot take. It, I, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you a Super Bowl pick. I think it's gonna be Baltimore, San Francisco. <laughs> okay. Is 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 gonna be is gonna be my my NFC and AFC picks. And I think uh, I, I do think Baltimore in that matchup would would win that Super Bowl. That that's my hot pick. There you uh, go. Yeah, yeah, that's a rematch of the Super Bowl when uh, when Joel's guy was still in charge of the 49ers when it was the Harbaugh Bowl. So uh, we'll we'll see if that ends up being uh, being the case again, and and see if both Harbaugh brothers can get it yeah. done in the same year. So uh, that'd be that'd be quite a storyline, right? If both of the if the two brothers bring home both the championships. Yeah, and I, I think I think your guys' game this weekend. I think that's going to be a great matchup. That oh, place yeah, is gonna, yeah. that place is going to be rocking. Um, it's it's that's that's going to be a real fun one to watch and you know if you if you like watching bad weather games the Kansas City game that's going to be freezing cold the Buffalo game those are going to be ones that everyone's going to be happy watching from their living room so uh, we've got some we've got some good football coming up this weekend and and you know we can we can all pay our five ninety nine to Peacock so we can watch the game on <laughs> on Saturday night well uh, enjoy the long weekend Jonathan yeah guys thank you for your help talk to you uh, talk to you soon. Yep, Jonathan Corpina. He's a senior managing partner at Meridian Equity Partners, joining us here on a pre-market prep. Well, we are maintaining the pop that we got off the PPI number, but the area that I'm concerned about, I'm still concerned about here. Uh, on the 30-minute chart, let's see, what did we do? We got a pop. Um, 
on oh i made a daily here that's a bet i'm like what am i doing here go to my 30 minute here and uh i talked to and i talked about this yesterday as well is the uh the importance of the closing price and we've already traded it through uh several times but that little pop right there did get a little bit over the close it took you to uh 1750 uh so that that closed 1550 to 1750 the bulls they did a good job there, but man, they need to step it up. Get us green on the session. Yeah, that's what we talked about, uh, Joel, whereas if you get the good numbers and then you don't see the market ripping off of that, uh, is that concerning? And it is to me because, I mean, you know, there are there have been markets in the past two, three years where you get even a slight PPI, you know, beat cooler than expected and the market would be taken off right now. And we're not seeing that this morning. So I do wonder if maybe there is just some of this uh, bullish trading activity has been exhausted over the past few weeks. I mean, you mentioned how just how strong really October, November, January, the past three months have been that have brought us to basically at our all time highs. Um, I'm seeing if we've got, if you got any tickers in the chat, let us know. We can maybe do a couple uh, ticker ticker, but while we're waiting for those to come in on the chat, uh, I do want to talk about Bitcoin. We saw that trade off yesterday. Some big news in the space. Again, we talked about this with Dennis. Are we going to see a sell the news type deal with Bitcoin? That is what happened. And we got even more news yesterday after uh, Vanguard, one of the largest asset managers in the world, announced it will not offer any of the 11 approved Bitcoin spot ETFs. Uh, Bitcoin names just got hammered on this news yesterday, Joel. You had Coinbase trade lower. And we talked about it in the morning that Coinbase was trading higher. It was up like 3 4% pre-market and then ended up closing down more than 5%. Um, so not a, not what you want to see if you're long these crypto names or the cryptos themselves. All right, uh, key reversal here uh, in Bitcoin. I mean, there's no no other way to put it. I mean, you made a, a new high for the move, and then uh, you turned around and uh, made a new low on the day. I'm just going to uh, base this uh, just on the futures, what I see right here, right now. Yesterday's low, 45,700. Current low, 45,670. Hanging out right there. Very important. I mean, if you just say that, hey, we got approved, we got all these ETFs, everyone's going to be buying Bitcoin, you're going to hold this bid here, you're going to work your way back up, take out that 50K. But uh, right now, you have an area of support, a very important area of support uh, to hold. And then uh, I do have some longer term uh, uh, thoughts on uh, the ETFs are coming in, but I want to share. I'll, I'm going to wait till Triple D, and it's not a four day weekend, it's a three day weekend. So I'll save that for Tuesday. But for you Bitcoin traders, uh, keeping a very close eye, yesterday's low in the futures. After that, you got a quick uh, 1200 point drop to 44,505. And I do see a little bit as far as the open interest in the futures. Um, and hit a record high on January 8th of 17,896. It has steadily been coming down. So the open interest here is reflecting a little bit of pairing of positions. So uh, on the big up days, you want to see big increases in open interest. Uh, yesterday was a down day. Let's see if Bitcoin can hold support.
right, well, let's do one or two stocks from the chat, and then we're going to wrap up a couple minutes early today. Benzinga, we have our big quarterly meeting starting at 9. Uh, while we're, we were talking about football, so let's go to Nike. I know your boys in blue weren't wearing Nike, but they were wearing Jordan, which is owned by Nike. So uh, how are we looking on Nike, Joel? Did you know that I uh, do not wear any Nike Jordan stuff? Why? Why? What what year were you born? Uh, nineteen. I don't know if I want to say. I feel like the chat might. Okay, might... okay. They hoot on you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You, you you heard about the bad boys? Oh, the Pistons. Uh, the Pistons. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, uh, I respect Michael Jordan. Uh, but I mean that was just too big of a rivalry, and I just can't. I just can't. Yeah, you got it. Michigan wearing Chicago. I'm a Pistons fan. I I will wear Nike stuff. But, I mean, what the heck is Jumpman doing on a Michigan football uniform? Well, maybe, that was cal- maybe that was calculated. Maybe they said, hey, Detroit's not a big market because they hate us. What can we do? Let's go ahead and sponsor Michigan. I, I But you know what? I And I told Triple D is, I'm like, I, I, Michigan won the national championships in football. I'm like, I'm done. I have low expectations in every sporting event. Michigan proved me right in basketball last night by being up 12 and losing by like 10. Uh, But boom, boom. I mean, anyways, Nike technically whacked off earnings, uh, but put it in a nice earnings low here. Uh, Parallels, if you want to lean on here, just under 102. That's good support. Let's see you work your way back um, on a retracement. Not, uh, I'd say, look at short term here. If you're looking for a target over the next couple days, I would give it 107.65. That's a pair of highs from January 2nd, January 3rd. And actually that 107.85 is a high for the year. So if this is a bottom to buy, if this is the turnaround after earnings, then boom, we're going to get up to that 107.75 level. Take that out. Then the next major resistance is at 110. And then we're trading up today. So I don't know if you're going to get much of a pullback here, especially with the market moving up. But yep. uh, put a couple lows in the same area. Something to lean on for sure in Nike. There you go. All right, guys. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up a couple minutes early this morning. Uh, have a great three-day weekend, everyone. We'll be back on Tuesday. Joel, thanks for powering through. I hope whatever's come down on the pre-market prep crew uh, isn't going to come for me next. So we'll see. I'll try to stay stay safe this weekend. Okay, and uh, Tuesday, uh, T3 Tuesday. So we'll be back with you guys. Everyone, have a safe three-day weekend. Uh, Remember those options. If you're trading the weeklies like Aaron, one less day to trade, a little bit of premium evaporation. So everyone, have a great day. Back with you on Tuesday.